are starting a four-part series today in Philippians, and if you have your Bible, you can turn me right away to chapter one, and uh, it's a four-part series because there are four chapters in Philippians. Did you know that? There are four chapters in Philippians, and each week we're going to look at one, kind of highlight a few things there, and uh, I want to give you homework right away. How many just got done with school and you just finished school? Yeah, we got a few people here happy about that. They just, well, now you have homework in church. And it's a good thing. Uh, What I'd like you to do is read Philippians chapter 2 for next week. And then each week, read ahead uh, of where we're going to preach. And here's why I want you to do that. I believe that God will speak to you this week as you read Philippians chapter 2. And many of you will have kind of a God moment where he'll speak to you and, and, and speak something to your heart. And then we'll be preaching next week. I'll be preaching next week. And God will just add on and build to what he spoke to you or maybe to whole, be a whole new perspective. But love for you each week to read ahead. It's only one chapter. And uh, I think it'd be really good for us to do as we look at uh, the book of Philippians. Now today, I'm going to give you a little overview about Philippians, give you, get you started on this, and then we're going to look at chapter 1 and a couple of passages that I just want to highlight. But I want to say this, that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote it in about AD 63 while he was in prison. Now that's important to us, okay? I'm telling you this for a reason, because the whole theme of the book is really encouragement. So you got to think, he's writing a book of encouragement while he's in prison, It wasn't a nice prison. It was a terrible prison. We'll see that in just a minute. But he's writing a book of encouragement uh, to a church that he started in Philippi while he's in prison. Now, the church was started in Philippi, which was a Greek uh, city. And uh, it was the first church actually started in Europe. Okay? You got to understand that uh, the gospel moved from Eurasia, from Israel, and it moved from there and it went into Europe, and Philippi was actually the very first church started in Europe. And the Apostle Paul um, was wanting to go a different direction to start a church. He was wanting to go to places, and this is what he would do, and this is why he was called an apostle. An apostle is someone that goes to an unreached people group that doesn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know the good news. They don't know the things that we know about Jesus Christ. And they go into an unreached people group, and with signs and wonders following them, miraculous things happen, they start to build the church from ground zero. And so they build the church from ground zero, and as they lead people to faith in Jesus Christ, they start to establish a church, and that's what an apostle does. And so the apostle Paul, that's what he was doing. He was going from place to place and starting a church, and this is the place that he started because he had a vision. He had a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come and help us. Come and help us. We need the message that you have. Now, he wants to go this way, and while he's going this way, in the middle of the night, he has a vision, go this way and help these people. And so this is in response to that vision. He goes and helps these people and launches this first church in Europe, and you can imagine the special place that he has for them. Now, if you want to know where this is covered in the Bible, where he actually starts the church, in Acts chapter 16, that's where we see the Apostle Paul starting the church at Philippi. It's not when he wrote the book of Philippians, but it's when he started the church. And when he starts the church there, the Bible says he led a lady to, by the name of Lydia to the Lord. Now, this is important. Lydia was a very influential person in the town. Um, it says she was a seller of purple. That's there on, on purpose. Purple was a a color of royalty. So we know that she was a very influential, affluent person. 
And she was one of the first converts right there in Philippi. He leads her to the Lord. We know that Paul is doing uh, miraculous things, that God is just doing signs and wonders through him. Um, He casts the demon out of somebody. And because of that, he gets thrown in jail. While he's in jail in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi, that's where God sends the earthquake. All the doors open, but none of the prisoners leave. The prison guard's ready to kill himself because he's thinking everybody escaped. And the apostle Paul says, no, 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 we didn't leave. We didn't leave. And he, and he leads the jailer to the Lord, his whole family. And the jailer feeds him, takes care of his wounds. And he's part of this church planting. He's part of the first church that the apostle Paul is starting in Philippi. So that's what's going on here. And so you can understand, he loves the church at Philippi. And now we, we pick this story up. He's 14 years later. He's in jail. Okay, so how many know that the Apostle Paul has a prison ministry? (laughs) It's not the way you and I want to do prison ministry, right? He's in prison, and he's in prison again. He's in Rome, and the church at Philippi realizes Paul's in prison, and you got to understand this. Their prisons were not like our prisons, okay? Our prisons are, are fairly nice, okay, and things for people to do. And their prisons were if you wanted food, your family had to send you food. And if you needed medical attention, your family had to send the doctor to the prison. And if you needed a book to read or something to write down on, your family had to provide that. If they didn't provide it for you, tough luck for you. So the church at Philippi, is they just love the Apostle Paul because after all, he led them to faith. And they're like, hey, anything we can do to help you out, thank you. You're like our spiritual father. And so they take up a really generous offering and they send it to Rome for the Apostle Paul so that he can leave the prison and rent a home and be chained to a guard. So he's under house arrest because if you could afford that, you could leave this dungeon and be in a home, be chained to a guard, and then have better food and medical care. And so that's what they've done. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter of Philippians to them, chained to a guard, and because of their generosity, he's now able to get out of the dungeon and able to rent a home, and he's, and he's writing them because here's what's happening. They're being attacked. Their church is being attacked. And can I tell you this? The church is being attacked all the time. All churches get attacked. It's the same playbook. I don't care what country you're in. When the church gets founded and the church starts growing, there will always be attacks from the outside on the church, people that don't like what the church is doing. And then there will always be internal attacks where people will have pride come up and there's all these attacks. And if we can just be wise to the attack of the enemy, we can really make the church go forward. So the church at Philippi was being attacked, same way all other churches are being attacked. Church is being attacked and they're wondering, What's going to happen? Are we going to withstand this attack? And what happens if the Apostle Paul dies? And if he dies in prison and he can't come back and correct our church because we need our spiritual father to come back and to correct us and to give us some encouragement and some insight. And so they're wondering what's going to happen. And Paul's in prison. He's wondering if he's going to die in this situation. And so they're both kind of thinking about the end of life. Okay, so that's what's going on. And in this, we pick up chapter one, and I want to read verses 21 through 26. And again, I want you to read this chapter and then read chapter two for next week. But chapter one, verse 21 through 26, let me read this, and you can't read chapter one without reading verse 21. How many know what I'm talking about? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. 
Now, for those of you paying attention that were here last year, I actually did preach uh, this text, Philippians 1.21, in our verses series. Now, I'm not going to preach the same sermon, but if you want to supplement this and you want to go online, you could go to our verses series and you could actually see a different sermon on this same text. I'm just going to touch a little bit on some of the same things and then move on because I know some of you pay attention, right? <laughs> now, you can't read this without talking about verse 21. You just can't. You cannot read for, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You just can't read that without talking about it. And I want to let you know that the verb is, is not actually in the original language. When Paul wrote it, he said, for me to live, Christ. For me to live, Christ. He's saying, I wake up in the morning and I think about Jesus. I start going through my day and I think about Jesus. I stop for lunch and I think about Jesus. I go throughout the afternoon and I am thinking about Jesus and I am wondering what he wants me to do. I am thinking about Jesus all the time. He's like, I go to bed at night. I'm thinking about Jesus. I am always thinking about Jesus. Man, that's a strong, strong statement. And when I think about what we're living for, I mean, I don't think we could say, for me to live, Christ. That's what I'm living for. I wake up, think Christ. I, wake, I go to sleep. I'm thinking Jesus Christ. I, I'm, it's all the time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I think for many of us, we are doing a lot of other things. We're not thinking about Jesus all day long. But he's saying, for me to live as Christ, I'm doing it all day long. I'm thinking about how I can advance his kingdom. I'm thinking about him. And he says, if I, if I live, it's great. If I die, it's even better. Because he said, right now, it's like I'm, I'm living on the interest. I'm just getting a taste of how good Jesus is. And the Bible talks about that the Holy Spirit is like an earnest. It's like a deposit. He's like a deposit in our life. Just a little taste of how great God is. And when you feel the presence of God in worship, when you feel the presence of God in your life, you're just getting like a deposit right now. And the Apostle Paul says, I mean, it's good now, but man, when I get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But if I'm going to be here, I'm going to live, and I'm going to live Christ. I'm going to think, eat, sleep, Jesus. I've shared it before, but the one man in my life that I was impressed with so much was Mark Buntain, missionary at Calcutta, India. That guy always thought about Jesus. You had to interrupt him from talking or thinking about Jesus to talk to him. Like, we were on an elevator one time. We got to our floor, and I had to say, like, uh, Pastor Mark, we... we this is our floor. And he's like, oh, okay, I was just talking to Jesus. I mean, he was just always talking about Jesus, and it wasn't a put on. He was always, always, always thinking about Jesus. So when I read this passage, and I think, for me to live Christ in my life, I think of him. I think of him. But what are we living for? What are we living for? Because he said, for me to live Christ, and I think about all the things we're living for, and as I studied for this message, I, I found an old sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous preacher in the 1800s. And I read, he, he used this text, so I thought, I want to see what he said about it. And as I read it, I was like, wow, he was a hard preacher. He was a hard preacher. This is what he said, all right, to the men in his church. And it was so hard as I read it, I was so convicted, and I was so convicted, I want to pass it on with you so you can share in the conviction. <laughs> he said, men... I believe you're living for your money and your fame and your position. He said, I think we humor ourselves when we go to work and we say we're really doing it for the Lord when all we think about is how we can advance ourselves, get the corner office, and make our kids' life better than ours. That's really not living for Christ. He said, oh, I know you give. I know you help. But I know that you dream and you daydream 
about your career, your fame, your power, your family. And he said, let's be honest. Are we really living for Christ or are we living for ourselves? But he didn't leave the ladies out. He said, ladies, I know you go in your carriages and you hang out with other women. You talk all day long and you look forward to the party at night. And he said this, he said, you talk nonsense and you know, I, he said, I know you do your charity events, I know you have your good deeds, but at the end of the day, you go to bed dreaming about how you can do it again and have a better party and do it again the next day. I thought, wow, that's hard. And I could just hear him saying, you know, you're not near to what Paul said. Then I thought, man, you were really hard on your people. But then at the end of the sermon, he says, I know that in myself with much earnest seeking, I have failed to realize this fullness of the entire devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called everyone to say, let's step it up. Let's step it up. What are we really living for? That's so true for us. What are we living for? Paul said to live Christ, to live Christ. And if that wasn't enough, then he says to die is gain. To die is gain. And he's thinking about when he dies, it's going to be gain. And this week that was driven home for me. Uh, we went as a family, we went to Chicago, did a quick road trip, and we tried to see a different ballpark every year. And this year was Wrigley, so we went down and saw Wrigley. And while we were there, Connor's going to be a senior next year, so we looked at a couple Bible schools. We looked at Moody Bible Institute and also Wheaton College. So we went there and looked at these two places, and as we're going through Moody, I know that I'm preaching on Philippians chapter 1. I'm thinking about the sermon all week long, and as I'm kind of processing this, we're at Moody, and we're going into the chapel, and they said, this is the wall of all of our missionaries that we've sent out from Moody. Oh, and by the way, every one of them that has an asterisk next to it, those are the ones that died as martyrs for their faith. And I'm like, what a holy moment. That asterisk didn't mean graduated with honors in the academic sense. That means graduated with honors in a spiritual sense, in a real, material, physical, left this earth and laid it all on the line. People that said to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm just like, wow, hit me. Lord, if you call us to do that, would we answer? Would we say to live is Christ, to die is gain? Or would we cry like crazy because we're leaving this earth, because we're so in love with the things that are on this earth? If that wasn't enough, then we go to Wheaton, and as we're getting the tour there, they're like, oh, you might have heard of some of our famous alumni, um, Jim Elliott. Have you ever heard of Jim Elliott? I'm like, oh, yeah, Jim Elliott went to Ecuador. Him and four others were killed for their faith, trying to reach an unreached people group. Laid it all on the life he, line. He's the one that said he's no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I'm sitting there the whole time going, wow, wow, wow. I've got to live now different, and I've got to have a, a bigger eternal perspective. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Man, you can't read Philippians chapter 1 and not talk about that. You cannot read that and not be convicted and say, God, what am I living for? What is my level of commitment for you? And how can I take it to another level? Now, moving on from there. Verse 23 through 26, this is where I want to just point out that I would think Paul is saying, make your life count then. If you're going to say to live is Christ, to die is gain, then make your life count. Because he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. 
He said, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm on this earth, the only thing that really gives me comfort, because I'm chained to a prison guard, I could leave here, I could really, you know, make a case for me to get out of here, they will kill me, and they will take me into the presence of God, and the only reason I want to stay around here is so that you can progress, and you can find faith, and you can find the joy of knowing God, and I want to help you and encourage you. And are you here in such a way that we would miss you if you were gone? If you were gone from this earth, would we have to call for help to fill your ministry position, to make a difference in your neighborhood? Would somebody have to step up? Because for Paul, he's saying, you know what, if I leave, I know that you're not going to get the help you need, and so I need to be here, and I want to be here for your progress, for your joy. Would God say this about us, that he'd say, I can't take you because you still have a mission. You know, you still have a mission. You know, the way you drive, I've, you know, I've really protected you, but you're on a mission and drive safer. But I got to leave you here because you got something to do. Would he say that about us? Or would he say, I, I could take you or leave you? There's not much difference whether you stay or go because we're really not living on purpose. And the apostle Paul would say, make your life Count. Make your life count. Make it necessary that others are, are, are following your example, that you're really doing something. You're making a difference. And the Apostle Paul, some of you would say, like, well, I'm in a different place. I didn't think I wanted to do this, and now I can't do that. Because I can't do that, I don't want to do anything for the Lord. The Apostle would say, I was chained in the prison. I wanted to go plant churches, and while I was chained to a prison guard, I made the most of it. I started a prison ministry and I witnessed to the guards and I discipled the guards. The Bible says that it went through Caesar's household all because Paul was chained to these guards and he's making the most of it. He's saying, I want to plant churches. I want to have signs and wonders happening out there, but it's not happening. So instead, I'm going to write books and I'm going to write letters to people. I'm going to be an encouragement to the church. And so I would just tell you, modify, modify, adapt. Do something. You say, well, this is my perfect spot and that's taken. Well, do something different and let God open that door and move you to where he wants you to be. But at least be doing something. Make your life count. And the thing that will outlast you is building the church of Jesus Christ. Not just River Valley. I'm talking the capital C. I'm talking the church of Jesus Christ. When you lead people to personal faith, when you work at the local church level to make a difference, and that's what will outlast you long after we're all gone. The church of Jesus Christ will keep moving forward. Let's build his church. The Apostle Paul was saying, I'm going to live productive while I'm living. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to find new ways to serve, and you should too. Whether it's life groups, emails, phone calls, mentoring young people, whether it's visiting the sick, whether it's volunteering, whether it's greeting, ushering, working with the kids, helping a single parent, giving financially. Many of us have a lot of different things we could do. Let's do it. Let's make the most of every day that God gives us, all right? Now, if you'll indulge me for just a moment, um, I want to talk about somebody that I think made the most of their life and really, really, really made a difference. And you are uh, sitting in the benefit of their hard work and heavy lifting. Um, My father uh, passed away seven years ago uh, in May. He had a brain tumor with cancer, battled it just heroically, and we tried all sorts of ways uh, to save his life, but they didn't work, and we prayed and fasted and sought God. Um, But at age 65, he passed away way too young, way too young. But I want to let you know that um, 
before he passed away, in the first seven years uh, of the church, he worked and did heavy, 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 heavy lifting. The church was only 700 uh, when he passed away, so many of you never had an opportunity to meet him. But I want to talk to you, and I think it's very appropriate for today. He made his life count. Matter of fact, he, he lived his life in such a way that when he died, um, before he died, I said, Dad, is there anything you want to do? And he said, no, I've lived my life with no regrets. He said, the only thing I want to do is come back one last time to church and uh, just be there with everybody, with my church family. And I said, Dad, would you help me to preach the sermon? And so in the wheelchair, he came up and helped me preach the sermon to live your life with no regrets. And he prayed for everyone in the church, and the place was just crying, and we were all crying. We realized this was it for Dad, and he died very shortly after, just a few days later. But while he was here, um, he was one of our only elders with gray hair. Uh, he was here as our elder with gray hair, and um, he would help with setup. And we used to set up the church. It was portable church. He used to drive the truck for us. We had to rent a rider truck every weekend. And in the winter, I didn't realize that a diesel needs to be on when it's sub-zero or it gels up. And so the diesel gelled up. And so at 5.30 in the morning, I'm calling my dad saying, Dad, the diesel truck gelled up. And that's where he introduced me to thrust starter fluid. We sprayed that in the carburetor, cranked it open, and fire went everywhere. But that baby started. And... Uh, <laughs> So he was always there for us. He cleaned the church. When he retired from uh, the car dealership where he worked, he took great pride in cleaning the church. And he used to walk around saying, we're going to show people that we care by having the cleanest church around. And he used to love doing that. He drove the church van for the kids. And they used to call him Bob the Builder. <laughs> so it was fun for him. He uh, made meals with my mom on Wednesday nights. And you may not know this, but they would cook the meal at their home bring it to the church, feed everyone that showed up at the church, about 300 people, and then bring all the dishes home and wash them at home because we didn't have a sink where they could wash the dishes every Wednesday night just so people could come straight from work and be with their family. He would pray with us. He would fix things around here. He taught life groups. He would counsel with my mom. Anyone that was willing to make progress, he was willing to counsel them. If they weren't willing to do what he said, one time was it. You know, you had to make progress. But if you would do what he said and you do the homework, he'd, he'd counsel you. They were foster parents. They were ushers. Uh, my dad was a greeter. And one day, in support of our youth group, we had a day called Lime Green Sunday. And we asked the entire youth group to dress up and wear lime green. We asked people in the church to wear lime green in support of the youth group. And so my dad said, well, I'll have a lime green shirt. And then he realized, you know, like, I have perfectly white hair. I am going to bleach it, and I'm going to color it lime green. And so he did. So he shows up at church with lime green hair and a lime green shirt. And here he is, an elder in our church. But he said, I believe in the youth, and I'm all in. Keep loving Jesus, and I'm okay with it. And he was greeting that day, and a new family walked up, saw him with green hair, and walked away. <laughs> he said, don't worry, Rob. They wouldn't like us anyways. Yeah. But he lived his life in that way of saying no regrets and saying, while I'm here, I'm going to live my life and make a difference. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to do whatever's needed. Nothing's too low. Nothing's too much of a commitment. He was all in. Matter of fact, he was getting ready to lead our Alpha ministry and had gone to the training to lead Alpha before he passed away. I mean, he was ready for the next step and next challenge and saying, Lord, while I'm here, I will make a difference. And I'm just saying today, can we live that way? 
Can we live that way to say to live is Christ, to die is gain, and while I'm here, I'm here for your benefit and your benefit and your benefit and your benefit, and I'm going to make the most of it, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to do whatever God has called me to do, and I'm going to not just be a consumer, I'm going to be a giver, and I'm going to be somebody that says, man, I'm living for Christ, I'll die for Christ, and I will make a difference so you can progress in the faith. I love this passage, I love this book, I love what this speaks to us, and I pray that we could live that way. So Lord, I pray right now that all of us here would do that. That all of us here would take our moments, that we take every minute that you give to us, and we'd live it for your glory. If we're going to be here on this earth, I pray that we'd really live for something that matters. We'd really live to make a difference. We'd really say we're here to help others progress in their faith. We're here for others to find the joy that we know in serving you. And Lord, we are here on purpose. And I pray that the example of my dad's life And I pray that the words and the example that Paul lived would be something that would just challenge us to say, Lord, to live Christ. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. So, Lord, I pray that we take it another step further, another step closer. And we're just as convicted as those that heard this message years ago. We're convicted that we need to fall deeper in love with you, more in love with you, be more about your business and your church than we have been. And so we thank you for the grace that will help us to do that, to live that way. And I pray you'd give us the strength to make the most of every day you give us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we stand all across this place?